0: I want to thank those of you who came out for our lesson this morning. Uh, at our church meeting that we had uh, last month, uh, one of the things we talked about was the need for us to be more evangelistic, uh, the need for us to share the gospel with individuals. And so today is going to be a lesson really geared toward motivating us to share our faith with individuals. Uh, to understand the importance of it, and then to realize God provides opportunities for us to share our faith. And the more spiritually focused we are, the more we are likely to see these opportunities when they occur. The less spiritually focused we are, then the less likely we are to see evangelistic opportunity that God places in our lap. Every day that you leave your house, you have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. Some of us, even the folk who live in your house with you, you have the opportunity to share the gospel with us, with those individuals. We just sung a song that Jesus is coming soon. I don't know about you, but I want everybody in my house and everybody that I have contact with to know about Jesus, so that when that time comes, they cannot say, you didn't tell me about it. Now, Now, some of us are going to have a rude awakening, when that time occurs because people are going to come to you and say, you are my best friend. We ate lunch together on a regular basis. we shared hobbies together, and you never said anything about the most important relationship that I ought to have in my life. You don't want to be in that situation where someone is saying that to you. So let's take the opportunities that are before us right now to share the gospel with a classmate, with a neighbor, with a coworker with a friend, with people that you meet in the store, or where it is life may take you. Because in the world we live in, we have the opportunities to have conversations with people all the time. And even if you're not physically with them, you have conversations with people over the phone. Uh, You have Zoom uh, communication with people. And so I'm hoping that we will be sensitive to moments where God gives us opportunities to share the gospel with individuals who are right there in our face. You do know that God calls us us to geo. You guys know that? And so even though God has called us to go, he still sometimes brings folk into our life, into our world. And we need to thank him for that, but we need to sharpen our skills so that we are prepared that as we go, And some of you will be going later on this afternoon. Some of you definitely are going tomorrow. And I hope that this lesson helps bring a level of awareness that as I go, as I go about doing my my regular business, let me take the Lord with me. Mm -hmm. And, And let me say something that may enlighten somebody or create an opportunity where they're interested in knowing more about Jesus and his church. Now, the reality is, we've gotten away from being evangelistic. If I went around and surveyed the group, oh, and I'll let you know the assignment that I told the 8 o'clock people that I'm going to do, I'm giving myself an assignment. So, over, over this course of the next several months, I'm going to talk to everyone who's a member of our congregation and say, how many people have you led to Christ? If you're a Christian, you're going to hear that question from me. I don't want no hemming and hawing. Just answer the question. If you haven't done it, I'm going to say, why haven't you? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to expect you to give me an answer, whatever your answer is. Because I want to to, to burn this on our consciousness. That God expects us. God expects us. Maybe the people sitting next to you or other folk may not, but God expects us to expand the kingdom. And some of us have gotten too job-focused, too friend-focused, too relationship-focused that we have forgotten that as a Christian, we need to share the good news with people. And hear me, the gospel is good news. So be careful how you present it. Because you can present it such that people feel like it's bad news. But the gospel is good. The gospel will change people's lives. So I want to use as a subject this morning, and some of you... Uh, some of you can go with me on this, Jailhouse Rock. Yeah. Jailhouse Rock. So, mean, I know you know Elvis Presley. Uh, uh, some of you remember uh, the Jailhouse Rock movie that he was in. Uh, and, and I know some of you, 20, uh, 25, you may not know, but you Google everything else. Go Google Jailhouse Rock uh, after the service is over. And then tell me, uh, after you've looked at the movie, what you think about it. Uh, media. I need my graphic. (laughs) Okay, why are you getting that together? So evangelism can occur anywhere. And I think the text that we are using today demonstrates that because we're in a jail setting. We're in a prison setting where God allows something to happen to get people's attention and a, a person is able to hear the word of God and become a Christian. So evangelism can happen anywhere you go because we are the messenger and God is sending us on a regular basis to all kinds of places and we need to be prepared when we go out. You do not need to say, well, let me call the preacher. I'm going to say, don't you know this? Because the answer to the kinds of questions that people ask when they want to know how did I become a Christian is basic information. You already know it. If nothing else, tell them how you became a Christian. Tell them what you did. Uh, Tell them about how you came to have faith in Jesus. So it can occur anywhere. It pays to stay ready as you encounter the loss. And you now need to recognize people who are not Christians are spiritually lost. They can be good. They can be kind. They can be benevolent. uh, They can be all the things that you wish you were. The issue is they're lost spiritually. They don't have a, collection, a connection to Jesus. And when people die who do not have a, collect, a connection to Jesus, they die and ultimately go to hell. Now, we need to understand that. So you and I have the opportunity to at least uh, alert people to the fact that when this life is over, you will spend eternity somewhere. And most people will say, I want to spend eternity in hell, even if they're not a Christian. They want to go to the good place and not the bad place. And so use that as a motivator to help you get ready and stay ready. So as we read the scriptures, as we study the scriptures, in your mind, develop uh, uh, some answers to potential questions that people may ask you. Do some role playing with one another. Because these opportunities come along when you least expect them. You may be at the grocery store and you got a church t-shirt on. Now, you need to know when you wear your church t-shirt, you're, you're a, a walking advertisement. So don't be surprised if somebody asks you about your church and why you're wearing that church t-shirt. Or you're telling people that you are a member of the Bethel Street Church of Christ in Abington. They say, where is Abington? And OK, you get a chance to tell them. Oh, you say you're a member of the Church of Christ. What is that? And so you need to be able to give the distinction between the Church of Christ and the Church of God in Christ and the Church of God. Because when you say Church of Christ, people think all those things. And so we need to know how to respond. So preparation makes a difference. Recognize that most people who are looking for God will need a teacher. And guess who the teacher is? That's you and I. You and I know the Bible. We understand the Bible. So recognize that people may come to you. You may encounter them who are looking, searching for God and you are the person that God places in their life to be their teacher. Don't take that lightly. Remember, as we mentioned at the church meeting, we have have a goal here this year, of baptizing 30 people this year. I see 50 baptisms right in this audience. If all of us do what we're supposed to do, if all of us are talking to someone, if all of us are studying with someone, we can get 50 baptisms just out of this group not including the eight o'clock group, but it's gonna take us taking this seriously and being ready to meet the challenge and not try to make people into something we want them to be, but let them simply respond to the gospel message of scripture and be what God wants them to be. In this chapter, chapter 11, of Acts, uh, it, there's a lot of evangelism going on here. There are a lot of evangelistic kind of things going on here. If you go back to the beginning uh, of the chapter, you'll see where Paul and Silas, they encounter Timothy. And, and, and Paul sees something special about this young disciple, Timothy, that he wants to put him in the ministry to take him on the road with him. Uh, his, his parents or you know, his mother allows that to happen. And so he's now walking with uh, Paul the apostle and getting involved in evangelistic things. One of the things that, that many of us need is a team. We need somebody to help us when it comes to evangelism. Yes, there's some of us who can do this on our own, but some of us need somebody else. We need a silent partner to work with us. We need somebody to it with us so that when we go out to teach people, you got some visible help. Amen. Now you gotta be honest about yourself to know that you need that help. Because I don't know about you, but I've been in, in classes with people, and they will ask some interesting questions that sometimes you got to think a moment before you respond. And, and so as you're teaching, sometimes that other person uh, comes up with some better ideas on how to respond to this question than you did. Or they have a better idea of how to explain this concept that that person is asking you about. So take advantage of team ministry, because converting this person Uh, is that important to us. It's not about who gets the credit. Mm. You guys have heard me, Uh, sometimes we have introduced people who've been baptized, and I will call up several people who I know were instrumental in the whole time process. It could be the person who invited them to come to church services. It could be somebody else who taught them. It could be other members of the congregation who just befriended them when they were here that kept them coming back. All of that is a part of the team, and we need to to learn how to rejoice, And be happy with that. In verses 4 and 5 of this text, And they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So as these men were traveling, they were sharing the good news with people and in various cities. And so churches were being strengthened, which means Christians were being strengthened. You and I ought to be able to say a word of encouragement that will strengthen people whenever we find them. And if you're somebody who regularly engages in people, uh, you have been around people who are going through stuff, they're having a bad day, uh, there's been a death in the family, uh, uh, some kind of problem is plaguing them. You and I, because we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, and we understand what the word of God says, should be able to say a word to bring some encouragement to the person. And that may potentially open the door to where you can later on revisit with that person and share more perfectly about this God that we love, this God that we serve. Verses six through 10, uh, we see them simply just going. We need to get in the habit of going out in the community on a on, on, on regular basis and just simply sharing the word with people. So when the outreach ministry and other groups start having events after we get through this winter, we, those of us who love God, those of us who love God's people, those of us who want to see the kingdom grow, need to say, I will be there. And the idea is that you don't have to be at every activity, but you sure enough need to be at some of them. And so that means some of us are going to have to save some of our Saturdays so we can do some God work on Saturday. There are four Saturdays in a month, uh, at least, and then five sometimes. We don't have activities that go on here every Saturday, nor do we have activities that go on here every evening. Uh, one of the things that we do here is try to announce stuff early. Now, you, if you've been here for a long period of time, you know major events get announced early. Now, unfortunately, some of our ministry events get announced at the last moment. That's a function of the ministry leader. But anything churchwide, we try to announce it well in advance so people have enough time to put it on your calendar. And so as we get into the evangelistic phase this year, we're going to announce some events and things that are going to be going on early enough so that those of you who really care about evangelism will have the opportunity to put it on your calendar. And one of the interesting things about church work is sometimes you just have to change your calendar. Because a lot of things we have on our calendar, they're not urgent. They're just stuff you were planning to do because you didn't have nothing else to do. Okay, so when you understand now we got some soul-saving business going on, I hope that is motivational enough for you to adjust your, your Saturday. And I hope it's motivational enough so that you adjust it well in advance, that you don't wait till the last month. Well, if my other activity cancels, then I'll come. So in Acts chapter 16, we have Lydia, the seller of purple, being baptized. She and other groups of women are meeting outside the city. Uh, and Paul and his traveling companions come along. God opens her heart so that she can receive the message. And brothers and sisters, I need for you to understand, God has to open a person's heart in order for them to receive the message. Stop trying to guilt people and scare people into sharing, uh, accepting the word of God. It doesn't last. Simply share the simple message of the gospel. And the reality, the gospel is simple. We make it complicated by layering a whole lot of traditions and add-ons that are not there. The first teaching is to simply let a person know you need Jesus, he died for you, he's your savior. That's what they need to know in order to get into Christ. Then we go into a lot of these other things. You remember Matthew 28, teach, baptize, and teach again? Some of us try to teach too much on the front end that we cannot substantiate and is not biblical. It's more traditional, and we create stumbling blocks on the front end. So Lydia is baptized, and then later on in the chapter, uh, Paul heals this demon possessed girl. Uh, he liberates her. Now she's demon possessed, and she's going around saying some things. Uh, publicly about Paul and his traveling companions. Now the interesting thing is what she's saying is true, but she's demon possessed. And Paul does not want somebody associated with Satan speaking up for the church. And really he heals her out of annoyance and says, I'm sick and tired of this. Demon, come out of her. See, sometimes we have people who are Walking billboards of what not to do. trying to lead people to Jesus, and they don't understand, you are a hindrance, you're a hypocrite. You're not consistent in your worship, you're not even consistent in your Christian practice, but you want to tell folks they need to go to church service every Sunday. anybody know anybody like that? I know a whole bunch of church folk like that. And the problem is, they don't see their problem. because if people follow their example, they end up in hell. And so there's a lot evangelistically that's happening in Acts chapter 16. And all of this leads us up in, into the passage that has been read. And, and that is, and I'm going to reread it, that is from um, Acts 16, starting in verse number 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to the Any of you sing and pray at midnight? Are you all asleep? Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had flew, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So in verse number 25, we see God is at work, even though it's late at night. Long after you are asleep, you early birds, God is still on the throne and working, Potentially ministering to people to open up their hearts. So Paul and Silas are in jail. Uh, they are there and, and they, had, they really shouldn't be in jail. But corrupt officials and other things have, uh, have aligned to get them into this position. But God is even able to use the fact that they are locked up in jail for his purpose. Uh, you guys remember a few weeks ago, all things work together. Anybody remember that? So God can use even the so-called negative, bad things that happen in your life to make good come about it. Because the good that's going to come about is this jailer and his household and his family are going to be added to the body of Christ. But God had to get his folk in prison on lockdown. So stop whining and complaining every time something bad happens to you. Because it may be God's attempt to use your circumstance to get other folks' attention. And when you don't trust God and you act like you're in this by yourself, then you'll miss that. So Paul and Silas do not appear in the text to be upset by the situation because at midnight, the text says, they are singing and praising God. Anybody ever sing church songs when you're not at the church building? Doesn't it bring you joy? Joy. Then you bring a smile on your face to sing some of those songs on a Monday when everything is crazy at the office, or while you're stuck up in traffic and you're tempted to give people your fingers. Instead of doing that, you open up uh, your, your spiritual hymnal up here and, and start uh, singing, Yield Not to Temptation, or something like that. Or, I woke up this morning with my mind. It helps you to better deal with your circumstances than to let your flesh. Dictate what's going on. And so instead of complaining, these these brothers are praising God. So the next time you're in it, think about praising God, even though you're in the midst of a storm. So they could have chosen to just whine and complain. You know, we're working for God and look at where it's getting us. You know, we're out trying to lead people to Jesus, and instead of people being happy that we're telling them the truth, uh, uh, you know, we locked up in jail. You, you guys know how you are. Uh, when, when, when things don't work out the way you think they ought to, you act like your efforts for God were in vain. They weren't in vain. Because you don't know who's watching you. You don't know who is drawing encouragement from you for you standing up on your principles. Oh, and I made the statement, they didn't even have Mm songbooks. Some of you act like you can't sing unless you got a songbook. If we didn't have songbooks here and we shut down the PowerPoint, how many of us are going to try to sing? I I watched some of you. uh, When we get a song leader up here uh, who is not as orthodox as we want him to be, who sings something we don't know, are you going to try and learn it? This is worship. Okay, you don't like that one. Let me move on. It's good to always have a song on your heart. Just like you all know some Bible verses, you all know some songs that when you're you're in certain situations, uh, you can just sing them to yourself. And even those of you who don't have good voices, those who just love to sing in the shower, you ought to have a song that you can share, because it's going to calm you down, and it's going to remind you of who you are, and it's going to remind you of where your priorities are to be. So in the text, we learned that the prisoners are listening and watching. See, that's the piece we, we, we failed. You never know who's listening to you talk at the office when you get upset. You never know who's watching your behavior when they know some crazy stuff has gone on, and they're looking to see how you're going to act. Because they know you're supposed to be a Christian. They know they're gonna act the fool, but you're gonna act the fool with them. So the next time something unsavory happens on your job, be conscious of how you act and what comes out of your mouth. Because these same folk you act crazy in front of, you may one day have to come back to them and have a Bible discussion with them. And non-Christians have good memories. You want to talk to me about Jesus now, but two weeks ago on a Tuesday you were cursing. You've forgotten about it, but they didn't because they were watching your behavior. See, we get so we don't watch our behavior. Uh, we don't walk as the King James translation said, circumspectly, where we're looking at ourselves. So you never know the impact your behavior has on other people. Recognize praising God does not depend on your circumstances. Mm-hmm. Praising God depends on the relationship you have with him. Mm-hmm. Because circumstances are going to change. But I ought to always know who's in control, and that's God. The people around me, supervisors, they, it may appear like they got the last word. No, God got the last word. Mm-hmm. So don't let your actions be dictated by these circumstances. Remember, you still are a child of God. He's working everything out for your good. It may not feel good to you right now. God controls every aspect of our lives. And the sooner we start understanding that, the more we're going to have some faith and some trust in God. God does not just control your church life. He controls your work life, your family life, your financial life, your dating life your social life, your neighborhood life, your partying life. Do I need to keep going on? He's there in the midst of everything you are experiencing. So you think when you're on a vacation, you can just do whatever you want to do. Guess what? God's right on the vacation. His luggage was packed when yours was packed. And so he knows if you brought any church clothes with you. He knows if you check to see if there's a congregation near where you're gonna be at on Sunday, because you'll come back and tell us, well, you know, no, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to go to church service. There was not one anywhere near where we were staying. Then I'm gonna ask you, why didn't you investigate that before you went there? Y'all not be vacationing somewhere where you can't meet with God's people? But it shows where our priorities are. So God's at work. We see it being demonstrated in verse number 25. And then in verse number 26, God gets everybody's attention. You know how he gets everybody's attention? He allows an earthquake to occur. Stuff starts shaking and moving. And it gets the inmates' attention. The text will help us see that the prison was broken down. And even the house of the jailer was impacted by that. Now imagine this morning as we're in worship, Massachusetts has an earthquake while we're right here sitting in worship service. What you gonna do? I hope you stay, uh, give, keep, continue to give me your attention and not hollering and screaming. And getting up trying to run. We gonna trust God on this one. Okay, we gonna trust God on this one. Okay, Maurice is gonna trust God on this one. Okay. See, see, one of the things you're going to learn as you get older, stop panicking every time something happens that you didn't expect. Because we love stuff to be programmed. That's why we get in a rut so much. In real life, stuff just does not always happen the way you think it ought to happen, the way you think it ought to happen. You've got to learn to roll with the punches. But recognize God's still in control. So he allows this earthquake to occur to get everyone's attention. Uh, God can get your attention through natural means as well as supernatural means. So in this text, an earthquake occurs. he, he gets their attention through a natural means. Early in the book of Acts, uh, God gets somebody else out of jail, and I'm not going to tell you how he got them out of jail, but I'll just let you know it was a supernatural occurrence. If God wants his people released, they're going to get released, and he will use whatever is at his disposal to do that. You're not just going to start recognizing, trusting Trust him. And when we're doing things that he's called us to do, you need to trust him even more. He has called us to evangelize, recognize he's going to give us opportunities, and he's going to provide the opportunities where we can be successful. You just got to have some faith. So as we look at the text and we see God's power being demonstrated, the the foundations of the prison are shaken. That's going to get everybody's attention. The doors fall off. Now, if you are at a jail, and the doors fall off, no. the locks fall off, the, the, the things, the bars are all open up, what's going to happen? Because the text says the chains fell off of everybody. Even the jailer is awakened out of sleep. And so he's messed up. So the natural inclination is to think, somebody's about to get, break out. We're going to have to do an APB. And all those other kind of bolos and bulletins and stuff that they send out. But they don't, they don't understand, and sometimes people who read this on say, God is doing all of this to get their attention. Uh, because he got a Bible class that has to happen. And so he's showing his power so that anybody with a reasonable understanding will recognize God is at work here. And God is at work because nobody runs out. Everybody stays in place. Now I believe that is because of the behavior of Paul and Silas. These men are showing they trust God even though they are on lockdown. And they don't even run out. And and they were unlawfully in prison. And so the text moves on to say that the jailer recognizes the condition of the prison, he supposes the inmates are gone. And so he already recognizes what would happen to him if he lost his prison. Under their law, uh, the jailer lost prison, prisoners. It requires his life for that. So in order to hasten the process of what he thinks is going to happen, he decides, let me just kill myself. Get on over it right now. But thanks be to God, there's some godly men on the scene. Paul says, don't harm yourself. We all here. You don't have to be uh, afraid of of losing your life. That would have been comforting to the jailer. That would have caught his attention, because in his natural imagination, he could not have fathomed where folk who could run away from a jail that's all busted open wouldn't do it. Paul and Silas understand how God operates. And the jailer is beginning to understand that also because that's why when he comes out of the jail, first thing he says, is, sirs, he's talking to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? All of what has gone on there has gotten his attention. You got to know all the stuff that's been happening in Philippi, he's heard about it all the teaching that is going on, and so now he gets to see something up close and personal. There is nothing like God intervening in people's lives to get their attention. Folk who would ignore the written word when something happens, they lose a job, uh, a significant loved one dies, they get a cancer diagnosis or some bad health diagnosis, or the car gets repossessed, uh, the electricity's shut off, they get an eviction notice. Uh, God's gonna get their attention then, Because everybody prays in, And so the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Because now he understands some things that he didn't understand when he initially locked them up in jail. Now he doesn't totally understand, which is why he's asking the question, what must I do to be saved? As we're striving to teach people, this is where you want to get them, to where they're asking you, what do I need to do in order to become a Christian? See, when they're asking you that question, that gives you license to just go into the scriptures and simply share what God said. Because God's already got their attention. Now, you need to have the information. You need to have the words. You need to have scriptural reference to help them, which is why you and I need to get prepared and stay prepared because these opportunities will come. They may not be this drastic, but opportunities will come where you can bless somebody who comes to you for whatever reason. I shared with the eight o'clock service, I was coming back from Lubbock uh, a couple weeks ago from a conference, I'm at the airport, minding my own business and I'm standing outside in the cold and getting ready to go inside the, the terminal and there, there's a couple that comes out with a small child and, and they are trying to communicate with me and we don't speak the same English. We don't speak the same language. And so he eventually asked me you know, something And I told him, all I do is speak English. (laughs) And so he showed me a picture of what he wanted. He wanted to find the Logan Express bus that goes to Framingham. So since I know Logan Express, when I saw Framingham on the picture, I knew exactly what was going on. And so I told him, come follow me. And I took him to the place where the Logan bus is going to come because that's where I was going. I wasn't going to Framingham, though. And so... Uh, As we go there, he makes the statement, don't leave me. You guys heard me? Uh, We've only known each other for a little bit, but he's trusting me not to leave him stranded out there uh, because for whatever reason, I was the only one who seemed to care anything about him. And so my prayer at that moment was, Lord, let his bus come first (laughs) so I can be here to help him and his family get on their bus. And guess what? God answered my prayer. His bus came first. And I was probably out there another 10 minutes waiting on my bus. But I had a plan B in in place. In case my bus did come first, I was going to ask some of the other people standing around, would you all help him or help this family? You got to be prepared when these opportunities present themselves to you. I'm tired, want to get on my bus so I can go home, but here it is, God just drops this in my lap. And because I'm a Christian, I'm going to try and help. Be prepared, you just never know. So so, uh, so the guy asks, asks, asks the question, what must I do to be saved? And that answer depends on where people are on their salvation journey. And here's where you got to know the word of God so you can help people. Because everybody who asks that question doesn't need to hear the same thing. Okay, you don't understand what I'm talking about. The jailer in our text is an unbeliever. He's not a Christian. He does not believe in God. That's why later they tell him you got to believe. But think about the people in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. They were already believers. Now you can understand why Peter says repent and be baptized. He doesn't say hear, believe, and confess. They've already gotten to that point. And we many times will spend a whole lot of time talking to folk about stuff they already know. That's not what their issue is. Deal with them where they are. Acts chapter 9, you got Saul on the road to Damascus. After Jesus has has dealt with Paul, he understands completely and believes. So what he's told to do is go get baptized. You guys remember reading that in Acts chapter 9? He told that because he's already heard, he's already believed, he's already demonstrated repentance. And, and so that's why he said, what you waiting on? Why tarish thou? Arise and get baptized. Wash away your sins. All of them are given different answers because they were at different places on their salvation journey. So as you talk to people, listen to people to find out where they are. Give them the answers that they need and you'll find more people are getting baptized instead of you gotta go by a script, then you gotta take them all the way back to Genesis before we can talk about salvation. Because we're so scripted that we can't simply respond to the question without adding to it. And So think about some of the times you've been uh, confronted with people asking questions. Did you give too much information? Did you have to work up to an answer? Or did you know the response to the question? Because too many times we'll say, well, that's not how I did it. It doesn't matter how you did it. I, again, people are on different roads and whatnot. They're at different points. Their level of understanding is different. you got to understand that as you teach them. So in the text, he's told to believe on Jesus. He's told to believe on Jesus because he didn't believe in Jesus. What has happened is God has got his attention, And he knows that some power greater than I am has done what has been done. And these men seem to have a connection because I don't have it. And so to believe on Jesus is to also, is to believe who he is and to believe what he's done. We've got to help people to understand that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, not you and Jesus. So one of the challenges of dealing with people who don't know Jesus is to get them off the throne and put Jesus on the throne. Help them understand he died for you. He died for your sins. He paid a price you could not pay. So they begin to understand he's God's son, he died for you. What are you willing to do in response to what he's already done for you? And so the text will say, They taught him some more. Because you got to help people to understand and digest that information if that has not been a part of their belief system. We too many times try to teach everybody the same. You got denominational people today who know more Bible than many of you sitting in this audience. And and you just can't come up and tell them anything and think they're going to follow it. They would like to ask you some questions that will put you to shame. Because they read and study. Yeah, they may be off. But they got some confidence in what they're saying. We have been exposed to the truth and many times don't have confidence to even say it. So the text goes on to say that not only did Paul and Silas teach the jailer, but they also taught his household. Now that's everybody in his household who could understand, who could come to believe. So that leaves out small children and babies. This is people who are adults, people who are teenagers, people who have the capacity to understand this kind of approach. And too many times we take for granted, you got children who can understand this. If they can make an A on algebra and trigonometry and all these other subjects that some of us would be ashamed to even deal with today, and we act like your baby can't understand this, yes, your baby can. But we got to expose them to it. And so the gospel is presented to the jailer and his family members or his household, whoever was a part of that. When we move from there, we see the results of what God has planned all along. So the jailer assists Paul and Silas with their wounds. He, he does a first aid job on them because they've been injured and mistreated and battered in jail. And then the text says immediately he was baptized after taking care of them. Immediately doesn't mean a week later. And in the same evening, he's baptized. And so I need to help some of us understand, we will baptize folk any hour of the day. Stop limiting baptism to Sunday and Wednesday when we're here at the building. If you're dealing with somebody on a Monday and they want to get baptized on a Monday, you call somebody. If You want to get them here to the building or you got a bathtub in your house. If evangelism is important to you, if that person uh, being saved is important, some of you got these big old huge bathtubs in your house. Why not use them for something other than just you taking a bath? (laughs) Or call the building and ground folk. Don't call me, call building and grounds, and they will meet you up here, and I'll show up with them, Uh, and we're going to have some witnesses to the baptism. I don't know of any Christian that's so trifling that if you get a call that says we're going to baptize someone here in a couple of hours, we can't round up a group of people to come here to celebrate with that person. Now, we're not calling those of you who are at work. We understand you're at work. There are a whole bunch of us that are not at work. That's right. So the jailer and his household are baptized immediately. The jailer shows hospitality by now offering food to his new brothers in Christ. And then the text ends by saying he rejoiced greatly. Anybody remember when you first became a Christian? Do you remember how happy you were, how excited you were? Because we lose our zeal toward evangelism when we don't reflect back on what life was like when we first were converted. So when you first become a Christian, you want to tell everybody. You want to tell everybody that you come in contact with about what you have now learned. Anybody remember that? Why is it after 10, 20 years we lose that kind of excitement? And now we start just focusing on self. We don't want to witness to nobody. We don't want to say anything about Jesus. We want to come in to worship and then go home. And some of you came here today with the idea, come in here, hear the sermon, sing a few songs, and then go home. You're not even going to stay for fellowship. And so it is that kind of mentality, that kind of behavior that's causing us to get further and further away from seeing the importance of sharing the gospel with people. So you're not going to share the gospel with anybody that you don't have a relationship with, a connection with. You got to talk to people. where they're going to trust you enough to listen to you and your gospel proclamation. Now now some of you you uh, Brandon as, he had a, uh, he had a slew of, of, of frat brothers here one Sunday. I think it was your birthday. He had enough influence on them for all those guys and their wives to come here on a Sunday uh, to, to, for his birthday. What kind of influence do you all have? Could you invite 10 folk here and they all show up? Let's be honest, can you invite 10, 15 people here for a Sunday service? and they show up. Now let's be real, some of you can't. Some of you can't invite one that'll show up. That speaks to the quality of your relationships. And so if you're going to be a good evangelist, you've got to be concerned about relationship building, because that's why we have influence, which means you got to, you got to be concerned about that person, not just your own agenda. You're concerned about their well-being. And when people see that in you, they'll come. Now you got to also recognize that the boomerang is going to happen. They're going to invite you to something. That's not the time to say, I, I can't come. Not if you want to be able to invite them again and they come back. So there's joy here. He rejoices because his sins have been forgiven. When, when, when you first heard that, clean sleep, if you died right now, you're, you're assured of going to heaven. You guys remember that? If you died back then, you've been living too long now, so you don't have that assurance. But if you died right then after coming up out of the water, even if you drowned in the water, you're going to heaven. Now you come out of the water and temptation has gotten on you and you know you've done some things that you shouldn't have done and this goes on and on. If you've grown in your faith, then you know as long as I walk in the light, God's going to forgive me of this. That one sin over here, once it's not going to condemn me to hell. See, one of the things we need to learn is once you are saved, there is security. And one mistake is not going to cause you to be unsaved. You're going to have to walk away from Jesus to be unsaved. So he rejoiced because his sins have been forgiven. Think about some of the people you have seen that have been baptized here and how happy they are. Uh, when we bring them up, we give them a certificate, we give them the Bible and that. Uh, and, and, and listen to some things they, they then say. It's a reminder of the joy uh, and excitement that people have. And you ought to want to see that on a regular basis. You ought to want to see some new brothers and sisters. We ought to want to see that to the extent that we will do something to make that a reality. So the next couple of months when I walk up to you, don't get no attitude with me, anything like that, and I say, who, who have you led to Christ? Just, just tell me one, two, three, ten, uh, or you tell me zero. I'm going to say, okay, why haven't you? Just answer me, don't get no attitude. because I want to see us live out the great commission that has been given to each of us. In conclusion, recognize that God will get everyone's attention. In the text, he gets the jailer's attention. In your life, at some point, God got your attention because someone had to give you the gospel presentation that you ultimately yielded to. Recognize God gets people's attention in all kinds of ways, and when he gets their attention, that's when they are most vulnerable, when they're most willing to hear the word of God. And you and I need to make ourselves available. So it's at the end of the work shift. Everybody's going home, but you got a coworker who says, I know you go to church services. Can I talk to you? What you gonna do? Your family can wait to get a meal. Traffic will be better if you waited anyways. Take the time, go get a, a cup of coffee, go to Starbucks, those of you who can afford Starbucks, or find a local <laughs> McDonald's, and, and go and have a conversation with the person. It may very well be that conversation may lead to them uh, obeying the gospel. You're out shoveling snow or mowing the lawn, or whatever it is you're doing in your neighborhood, and your neighbor from across the street or across the fence comes up and say, I know you are, I see you guys every Sunday going to church services. You know, don't you all ever take a day off? <laughs> and so here's an opportunity now for you to share with them, no, I can't afford to take a day off. And, 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 and this is why. And if there's ever a Sunday that we're going, you want to go with us, just come on, jump in the car with us. And now you'll see why it is we do what we do. Somebody dies that you're close to. Here's an opportunity for you to connect with the family member as they're grieving. To give them a word from the Lord. Not just I'm going to pray with you, but help them to understand God is at work even in the death of a loved one. There's a message here. There's a meaning here. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. There have been people who've been baptized at a funeral service. Yeah, we have the funeral service, but as, as when it's over, folk are baptized. When people hear the word and they understand what they need to do, and they come asking, "What must I need? What must I do in order to be saved?" Okay, you don't go to this, you don't go to the cemetery. You stay here with that person, teach him. You say, "Oh, I, I got to get to the fellowship meal. I came here to eat." You guys know some of you are so pre pre focused on stuff like that that people can ask you legitimate things like that where you can help them spiritually, but you got your own agenda. Or i was supposed to bring dessert. Okay, pass your dessert on to somebody else. You stay here and teach this person. That's the greater good, but we'll get caught up in that. You know, somebody, I you know, I, I, I want to taste some of that food over there because you know I, I didn't have lunch today. I've been here at this funeral. I was at the wake, and now I'm here at the funeral service. I got to get something to eat. I'm a diabetic. (laughs) You guys know all the kind of stuff that you put in the way of doing the work of God. Always be prepared to tell the salvation story. Always be prepared. As you grow in the faith and you understand what it takes to be saved, always be prepared because you just never know where that information is going to be important. And as you grow up and become a parent, tell the salvation story to your children. Don't wait for them to become teenagers. Tell it to them as they're growing up, and before you know it, they are ready to become a Christian. But you and I got to be prepared to do that. And we can't be ashamed, we can't be embarrassed about it. If you believe this is true, then you need to be able to say it even to your fat brothers, your sorrow sisters, uh, whatever group you're a part of. God needs to come first. We will do everything else with him. And maybe that's why we can't talk to them about Jesus because we've done too many other things with them. Always be prepared to tell the Sabbath because somebody will listen to you. There's always a seeker out there. You and I don't know who that person is but people will observe us, they'll hear our speech, and they'll come knocking at the door. Remember that only God can open up a person's heart, but people can show enough, close people's hearts. Have some compassion, some love, and some kindness as you teach people the gospel. Stop being mean and evil and heartless in your approach. Stop guilting people, stop trying to scare people into obeying the gospel. The gospel message is simple. It is easy. And God wants people to come to him because they want to, because they love him, not because they're scared of him. Mm -hmm. And I know maybe in your era when you grew up, that's how people did things. They scared everybody. So I would wonder if those people are really a Christian. Because God is love. Anybody remember reading that somewhere? We fear God out of respect. But he's no big monster that we're afraid that's going to come and kill us. He's been too good and gracious to us. So don't close somebody's heart by arguing with them about the Bible. Leave room for a future discussion, or leave room for somebody else to come along with them. Because some of you need to recognize your personality is just rough. You don't have the patience to deal with people. You don't have the the tolerance to deal with people. And so when things don't go the way you had planned, then you get frustrated. And you let that frustration come out in the conversation. And so you push a person away from God. You don't draw them to God. And I need for you to understand, that person's blood is going to be on your head. So if you're going to evangelize, learn how to do it right. Leave a conversation before it, come, before it becomes a shouting match. Recognize that you see some things as a Christian they don't see. And you're only able to see it because the Spirit of God has got you. And so you've got to be patient and recognize 50 years ago, you had an all night Bible. So you start at 7, 8 o'clock, and you say the midnight. That's not happening today. People give you an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Without that, they want you gone so they can get on with the rest of their evening. Okay. You don't even want to be here after 8 o'clock on Wednesday night. If we had Bible classes going at 9 o'clock, some of you would walk out. You know you would. Oh, i got to go to work in the morning. i got to lay my clothes out. i got to do all this old kind of stuff. The study of the scriptures ought to be important enough for you to stay. Because it's not like you do that every Wednesday. And some of you get upset, oh, the sermon is too long. The sermon is not long all the time. You need some word in you. Because the stuff you're going to have to deal with on Monday, you need to be as God-ized as possible. And I know that's not a word. You need to be as god eyed as possible so that you can withstand his darts, the darts of the devil, come Monday. Because some of you are going to be in the devil's kingdom come Monday. And you can't fight that war like the devil. We're spiritual folk. So you guys study uh, Ephesians chapter six. I wonder how many of you are actually putting that into practice. And then recognize, as I've already said, baptism can occur at any hour of the day. Any hour of the day, any hour of the night, even at midnight. I know some of you are night people, you're not night people and stuff like that. I just would like to believe if a neighbor of yours said at 10 o'clock at night, I want to get baptized, you get up out of the bed and go with that person to get baptized. I just believe uh, at, at 4 or 5 o'clock when you're getting ready to sit down for dinner and you get a friend who says, I'm ready to be baptized, you'll say, I'm going to leave the dinner alone. Wife, you don't have to cook. Husband, you don't have to cook. We're going to go to this baptism and then we're going to go out to eat because we've got to celebrate. See, baptism ought to be celebrations. It ought to be something that you look forward to. They're not drudgery. And so if you've got to change your schedule because of it, here's a new birth. Now come on, some of you go to the emergency room or the, or the delivery room with, your, with spouses and friends and whatnot, and you sit there all night long, waiting on the baby that you don't know when the baby's going to be delivered. You sleep on the couch, you bring a pillow, uh, you sleep in the most uncomfortable positions, get a crook in your neck and everything else, but you there. Because you just got to be there. Why don't you just got to be there when there's a baptism? That's a new birth, a spiritual birth. Isn't that important? It needs to become important to us. And so when God rocks the jailhouse, or when God rocks the church house building, or when God rocks your house, or when God rocks your job, or when God rocks your neighborhood, he's trying to get our attention. He has somebody in that area he won't save. And we need to be willing to be used by him to bring the message of salvation. This morning, if you're here and you have a statement, you have a prayer request, if you have a confession that you need to make, we're gonna give you the opportunity to respond. But if you're in our audience and you're not a Christian, you're not a member of the body of Christ, we want you to become a Christian. We want a new brother, we want a new sister. Uh, when you were young, didn't you want a brother and sister? Okay, now some of you selfish only children, you may not have wanted one. But when you already got one, two, or three, uh, you didn't mind another one coming along. You didn't mind another one coming along because you've already learned how to share. See, see when a a child doesn't want a brother or sister, they don't want to share. We want to share the love of Jesus with everybody. So if you're, you're not a Christian, we invite you to understand that Jesus died for you. He died so that you could have a connection with the Father. You need to acknowledge that and acknowledge who Jesus is. He's God's son, but he's also Lord of your life. When you recognize that, be willing to change. Repentance is about a change. It's not about just knowing that I need to change, it is also having a spirit, of mind willing to change. And what you'll discover is, once you complete your obedience and baptism, God will add you to his church. Not only does he add you to his church, he gives you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our friend. The Holy Spirit comes to energize us so that we can do what God wants us to do and we can learn what God wants us to learn. And you keep on doing that, after a few years, you'll find you're ready to teach somebody else. And you're ready to experience that new birth in somebody else that you've been working with. Is there anyone in the audience who wants to put Christ on in baptism? Anyone who wants to make a statement, prayer request, or confession? We're gonna give you the opportunity to respond right now as we sing.